0: Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. If you've got your Bibles, going up to Galatians chapter 3. As you turn there, I want to talk about something as we intro into our message this morning, and it is this. Oftentimes in our lives, God gives us and grants us people and situations to help us see things in ourself that we're incapable to see. About two months ago, I was standing in our kitchen. I was cooking breakfast. and We were going to to have—oh, I'm sorry. I was cooking dinner. But I was cooking breakfast for dinner. Anybody else like to do that around your house? So we were cooking breakfast for dinner. Aaron was running the griddle and cooking bacon and pancakes because nothing is better than a pancake that's flavored in bacon, right? And so I was in charge of the grits and eggs. And so I'm standing there behind her. I'm at the stove. She's at the aisle, and she's doing what she needs to do. And I go, and I grab the canister of grits. And I began to read the back of them. And she turned around. And what she watched was this. She said, I think it's time you go to the eye doctor. And I said, I've never been to the eye doctor. I don't need to go to the eye doctor. And she said, for that very reason, I think it's time that you go to the eye doctor. So two weeks ago, I go to the eye doctor. He puts up the, the, the screens in front of my face for me to read. I'm like, that's a little blurry. I can't really quite make out what's going on. He said, on what? I said, on any of them. And then he started pressing things on the side for these lenses. And for the first time in forever, I could see. So then two weeks later, I come back and my glasses are ready and I get the glasses and I put them on and the thought came to myself, how in the world have I been driving, you know? So nice. Colors are better, right? You can see people around you. And I've been reintroduced to these things called words (laughs) that you can see on paper. But here's the thing. If Aaron wouldn't have pointed out to me two months earlier, you need to go to the eye doctor. If the eye doctor through the exam wouldn't have pointed out to me, you need glasses, then more than likely I would have continued on in a pattern of my life thinking that the perception around me is what's normal, that the perception around me is what's right, when the reality is that God had to use people and individuals and situations to help me see something about myself that I was unwilling to see or I was incapable of seeing on my own. As we're going through Galatians, as we're thinking through the power of the gospel, I want to ask you this question. Who do you know, maybe, who are three individuals that you know that need the gospel? I want you to think about that for a moment. Think of three names of people that you're close to, of people that you know that desperately need the gospel. Now, if we were to go around the room or were to ask you those names, who would they be? Here's the part I wanna challenge you with this morning. Here's the part that I think that God is, is, is sending us as a church, as for the most part, a group of individuals of men and women and children who would say that we are a people of faith, that we have just trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Here's what I would say. If your name is not on your list of people who desperately need the gospel, then your list is insufficient. Because what we are finding in this study is that yes, there are people that we need to take the gospel to, but it's just as important. That you and I, as those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, that we also, every single day, desperately need the truth and the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's not just enough about coming into faith, but it's what a life of faith really, truly begins to look like. If you were to come to me and say, Bo, help me find a passage of Scripture that says this is what walking with the Lord looks like on a day-in and day-out basis, I'm brought to the passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. It's the final part of Acts chapter 15, I'm sorry, of Acts chapter 16, and it says in verse 23, That when they had inflicted many blows upon them, talking about Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. We could spend an hour explaining what is happening in this prison to Paul and Silas. But it's sufficient to say that they're not in a good spot. That their circumstances are not what they would desire for them to be. That it's not where they woke up that morning hoping they would find themselves. But when we continue on reading, what we see is the power of the gospel in the life of a believer that they've taken the gospel and they've, they, they, they've dove down into in that situation, that in that moment, as bleak as it seems, that in that moment, as awful as it seems, that in that moment, they don't know if they're gonna lose their life, the gospel penetrates, and what comes from that is the fruit of faith in the life of the individual. It continues on, verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That's what it looks like. That's what faith is. That's what living for the Lord looks like. That in the middle of all the devastating news, in the middle of all that's gone wrong, in the middle of everything that is falling apart, that my positioning and my posturing before the Lord is filled with prayers and praise. And as a result of that, it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Oh wow. Faith, a life that's impacted a life that's counting, a life that matters, a life that is central and centered in to the gospel. So what does that begin to look like for us in our life? Well, the individual who this is happening to, Paul, is the author of the letter that we are reading. And so join me as we read Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Paul is, is done with, with this section of the, his autobiography of what's going on. And he says this, starting in verse one, "'O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? "'It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ "'was publicly portrayed as crucified. "'Let me ask you this. "'Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law "'or by hearing with faith? "'Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? "'Are you now being perfected by the flesh?' Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so we see this argument being proposed from Paul to the church at Galatia, which is the same argument that you and I, As believers, if we're not careful, is the same argument we need to hear and that we need to be drawn to our attention and that we need to be brought before ourselves. And it is this, the concept or the idea of chasing our own perfection. The understanding that so many times as we want to be a people of faith, as we have surrendered our life to Christ to save us, is that we walk out of that moment chasing something. Not chasing after the glory of God. Not chasing after Him. But chasing our own perfection in who we are and in what we can do. Paul's accusation of them in verse one: 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Here's Paul's struggle with the church. They have heard the gospel. They know the gospel. They have responded to the gospel, and yet their life does not mirror the truth that they know. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, because they're not ignorant. It's not a group of people who would say, We've never heard that. It's not a group of people who would say, No, this is different from what we understand. It's not a group of people who wouldn't even say, We believe differently. It's a group of people who have checked all of those boxes in their life of what they know, of what they believe, of what they understand. But when it comes to the application of the gospel as believers in their life, they have fallen short. And so Paul comes to them and he says, look, if you know what the gospel is, if you agree with what the gospel is, then why can't we apply what the gospel is? is. He says to him, if you came to salvation through faith, through hearing, through the power of the Spirit, then why is it now? Why is it now, as children, as believers, why is it now that your trust has moved to your works, to the law, and to the flesh? You see, because if you know the gospel." Right, so to know the gospel means that we have a head agreement of this is what the gospel is. But then you agree with the gospel, meaning that as you know the gospel, there is something within you that says this is true. Not that this is a truth, but that this is true then what should result from knowing the gospel and to internally agreeing with the gospel that what should come from that is the application of the gospel. But for us, for you and for me, so many times that becomes void in our life. You would seem silly. It would seem foolish if I were to say to you, I desperately need glasses. I know Then I need glasses. I agree that nothing I can do is going to help me get better within this, but I refuse to put them on. But the truth for us within the gospel is that it isn't just enough to know it. It isn't just enough to agree with it. But even as believers, the application of the gospel in our life. I read a commentator this week that says this. He said the same way that the Spirit of God entered your life is the same way the Spirit of God advances in your life, through faith, through faith. So what you and I need is continual gospel application of that. And when the gospel is heard, both for the lost and for the saved, the posturing of what it brings us to, the positioning of our heart that it draws us to is to a point of repentance. It's to a point of brokenness to realize that I need this both for salvation and my life. And when the gospel is applied to sin for me as a believer, what it brings me to is to the point of of, of repentance that in my life that I understand that the only way that I grow from the sin of my life is through the work of God, through faith. And so we begin to see this. For you and I, we begin to see where this comes from is in our life tangibly. When you see victory over sin, where does the credit and where does the power come from? Where does the credit go to? When we all battle the things that we do in our life, of all of the sins that we face, of greed, of lust, of lies, of anger, of deception, over being unwilling to submit to authority over or being an abuser in authority. When we begin to see that we're treading in a way that more in lines with scripture, then where is the credit given? Where is the power noticed from? Is it something that we've willed ourselves into existence? Or do we give credit from where it begins? You see, because when it is us doing it in and through our own power, we're masking the things in and of ourself that we do. But when it is a work that is happening from God through the power of his spirit in faith in him and an application of the gospel, what we will know is we are no longer modifying the behaviors in our life, but we're being transformed and renewed by the power of the gospel. And it's what we begin to live in and what we begin to experience in the authority that rings true in our life. And we begin to step in and to experience the life of faith. Let's keep reading about this life of faith starting in verse 6 of chapter 3. It says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who were sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what you and I want to be known for, what you and I want to be said about ourselves, what you and I want to have seen in our life is what does it mean being a person of faith to where our faith in God, our faith in the gospel is what is known and what is there. Now, Paul here is largely talking to a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience, and he gives them the example of Abraham. Why in the world would he choose Abraham, why not someone else? Well, what we see in verse 6 is quoted from Genesis 15, verse 6. It says this, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, verse 15, if you remember all the way back to our Genesis study that we did, I'm sorry, in chapter 15 of Genesis, God is establishing a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant is based in this, what God is going to do. The work that God is going to put in place and that God will uphold. And what we find as we continue in reading in the narrative in the life of Abraham of what comes from this is all of this takes place. Not because of who Abraham is, not because of who, what Abraham does, but God upholds the covenant that is there in spite of Abraham's failures and sins. And so verse 6 is just as much a statement of belief that brings into salvation as it is a statement of belief or a statement of faith that empowers the life of the believer for us to live in faith, that it was counted to him as righteous. When you see the word counted here, this is an, this is an accounting term that means to credit, And so in Genesis chapter 15, what we see is that Abraham believed in God. And what God did was God gave credit or made credit on behalf of Abraham. So that as Abraham goes forward in life, there is a credit on him that comes from God. So that Abraham is not partially, but so that Abraham is fully seen both as as righteous, both in his success, And even in his failure, that God says through this word, what I'm going to do, because you believed in faith, I'm going to count it. I'm going to credit it. I'm going to pay ahead of what is there so that in who you are, it is established as righteousness forever. And then it happens in faith and through faith alone. And so being a person of faith Means that we rest in the knowledge that our standing of who we are, of what we have received, has been given in credit. So what does that mean to be a person of faith? What does it mean as we look at the life of Abraham? How do we take that? How do we apply that to your life? And it's being, believing fully in the gospel promise. Fully fully, not just partially in that God saves, but in the full gospel promise that what God does through faith is that God saves, that God keeps, and that God grows. I've said this quote here, I don't know, probably a thousand times, but that God loves us too much to save us and then leave us right where we are. But that God in his full love for us, he saves us, he takes us in, and he grows us in our faith through him. And so to believe in God, to place our faith in him, to trust the gospel is an area for our life where we believe in the saving, praise God for it. But we believe in the keeping, that that which he loves, he holds on to dearly and forever. But then he also grows. That he grows you and that he grows me. And so we see a miracle happen when we're broken free from our sins. When we see the victories that take place. It's the, powerful of, it's the power of God and the miracle just as he multiplied the fish to feed the thousands as he is when he sets you free from your lust. He sets you free from your anger. He sets us free from our pride. It's in who he does. But to be a person of faith is believing in God's provision and not our performance. Abraham, Abraham is promised a great nation. Abraham is promised that from his line, from his lineage, this will come. But the problem is he has no kids. And the provision and the belief comes from God and not from Abraham. When Abraham takes matters into his own hands, what we see is failure. When Abraham takes the situation control and says, well, then this is what I'm going to do, then it's found in disobedience. But when it is found in God and who God is, what we see is the provision of the gospel that rings true. We'll conclude with reading verses, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, he says this, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. I, I wanna read that verse again. I wanna let that sink in to our minds and to our hearts. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by, if you've got your Bible out, circle it, all, all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And so we see Paul come before the old foolish Galatians to bring a need aware to themselves of the battle that is before them and the battle that they're going to face. And he draws a picture of two people. One who's going to find it in themselves. One who's going to find it in their faith. One who's going to find it in the works that they do. And one who's going to find it in the work that Christ has done. And so my question for you this morning is this, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Yes, yes, it is faith that saves us, but it's the faith that we live through. In verse 12, he says that the person that relies on the law, he says this, they live by them. And the result of living by them, of the the continuation of works-based righteousness is what Paul says is to be under a curse. And so if a person says, I'm going to live by the law and desires to be blessed by God, to live a life of faith, to not live in the reality of the circumstances that surround them or the demand that is there or everything. They can never rise above because they live in their own perception. They live in the impossible task and they're living as a person who's being cursed. And so what God does, what God says... Is that those who live by faith, not just for salvation, but those who live by faith and being kept by the hand of God, that those who live by faith in growth in the hand of God, that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. It's a beautiful phrase that is used in talking about substitutionary atonement of Christ. And it's called the great exchange, that Jesus Christ as our substitute. And we begin to think about this exchange, about what he did and about what we've done, about what we deserve and about what he deserved. We begin to see this void that separates the two. The void that Scripture says that in this place and throughout the world, that there is not one that is righteous in themselves other than through him. That there's not one who's fulfilled the law other than him. There's not one who is perfect other than him. And so in the great exchange is he received, Jesus received what? We deserve punishment, death. Let's don't forget, this wasn't just the means. It wasn't just what needed to happen. It was what had to happen. Because the law says that when you break one, one, one thought, one word, one deed, When one is broken, guilty, 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 guilty. And the punishment, it isn't a fine. It isn't a job to go do. It isn't going to make yourself better. It's death for just one, just one. And so what Jesus did is Jesus said, not for just one, but for the many, for the many, I'll take it on. I'll take it on. And So I'm going to step out of perfection. I'm going to step out of heaven and step foot on the cross in the great exchange for what the people who mocked him deserved, for what the people who spit at him deserved. For what the people who abandoned him deserved, and for what the people who are gathered in this place deserved, and for the pastor that stands on this stage for what he deserved. And I will pay the penalty on the cross. It's the great exchange. And then the exchange doesn't end there, is that we gain something. You and I. Not only is the penalty paid for us, but there's a reward given for a life lived in perfection. And that reward is righteousness. What that reward is, is proper standing before the Lord. What that reward is, is a credit that never ends. What that reward is, is an adoption that's brought into a family where divorce never is the case. What that reward is, is what none of us Deserved, none of us deserved, righteousness in him. But it's found not in what we've done, but what he's done. It's not found in what we do, but what he's done. And it's not even found in who we are, but it is found in who he is. In just a minute, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I want to ask you this question this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, where it will begin for you is repentance for who you are and for what you've done. It only takes one. And faith in who he is. But for all of us in here, for all of us in this room, Chasing our own perfection. Determining what we are going to do. And we wonder why in our life when the beating comes. We wonder in our life when the shackles arrive. We wonder in our life when the jail cell door spiritually closes on us. We wonder why our world falls apart. And the question is this, because have we been chasing it in ourselves, or is there rest in faith that above my circumstances, above what I can understand, above what is before me, that I trust God to save me, that I trust God to keep me, and that I trust God to grow me? Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you for who you are, thanking you for what you've done. Lord, may every day and every moment may the clarity of the gospel and the importance and the value of the gospel rest in us, in who we are, so that every day, every moment that we are people of faith Faith doesn't mean that we're trusting as long as it's good. Faith does not mean that we're trusting as long as we understand. Faith is not trusting as long as we agree, but faith, faith, Lord, give us faith in every moment, in every battle, in every victory, in every circumstance to trust in you and in you alone with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that you would trust him. If you do, if you do, and you're spending so much of your life chasing after something that you're never gonna catch, chasing your own perfection, that's found in who you are and what you do and in what you overcome. And the testimony of your life may begin with Jesus, but it continues in you. Could today be the day of repentance? Or give us the faith sing in the prison cell, or give us the faith to cry out in the midst of tragedy, or give us the faith to trust in you fully to save us, to keep us, and to grow us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.